Hello and welcome to the PharmaForum podcast. I'm your host, Jonah Comstock. A thriving startup ecosystem is essential to the health of the modern life sciences industry, as it provides an incubator for innovative ideas that might be too high risk for larger, more established companies. But that doesn't mean it's easy to be a biotech startup. With so many small companies chasing the biotech dream, getting a foot in the door with big pharma or venture capitalists isn't as easy as just having a great idea or product. Enter innovation hubs, where like-minded startups can band together, get support on their journeys, and just maybe increase their chances of getting that all-important meeting. To discuss this rich topic on today's podcast, brought to you by Cadan Science Partners, I'm joined by Senior Director of Business Development at Astellas, Bradley Hardiman, Mike Murray, Head of the Murray Advisory Services, and Mary Dillon, Cadan's Ecosystem Manager for UK and Ireland. So thank you all so much for joining me. I'm, I'm very excited about this conversation. But but before we get too far into it, um, let's give the folks just a little bit of idea of who each of you are and how your background connects to this topic. Um, so maybe we'll just go one at a time, talk a little bit about, um, you know, about the work that you do uh, and and um, how that connects to some of these concepts we're talking about, about startups and, and startup ecosystems. Uh, maybe we can just go in the order I did in the intro and start with Bradley. Hi, uh, hi, I'm, I'm Bradley Hardiman. Um, I work for Stellas Pharma Europe in their BD team. Um, so I'm responsible for sort of scouting and transaction for uh, external innovation that we would like to bring in within Stellas. And as part of that, I'm also in the, the ventures team. We have a corporate venture arm called Stellas Venture Management. Uh, and I represent them as well. I have a European-wide remit, uh, so we're looking for for innovation uh, across the whole of or whole of Europe. Um, and so we do really have to be efficient with what we do. And this will come out, I think, in this conversation about the benefit of clusters that help people like me do our jobs a little bit better. And and Michael, tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, thank you. So I'm Dr. Mike Murray. Um, I run my own company. It's called Murray International Partners Limited. So we are a commercial advisory. Um, basically, I work usually with early stage uh, innovators, people who have maybe got an early stage company, a startup, right through to SMEs. And my role is really to help them get onto the commercial path in the most productive way. And ultimately, I do three things. I assess their readiness to do a deal. I then build the deal and then either working with them or leading for them, I'll then negotiate the deals. And in terms of how that all works in the ecosystem, touching on something Bradley's already said, it's getting the connections right. And that's not a trivial thing. So that's broadly what I do. Mary? Um, yeah, getting the connections right. I think that's a, that's a good point to, to draw out um, later in the conversation. Um, yeah, so Mary Dillon, uh, so I head up our, our ecosystem services for the UK and Ireland at Cadan Science Partners. Um, Cadans, for those who, who don't know it, we are a pan-European property developer. We are in six countries. We've got over 400 tenants um, and we have an awful lot of life sciences and healthcare tenants. Um, within my role, um, I support those tenants to success and, and that can mean a variety of things, but it's how do we add value beyond bricks and mortar? Um, and, and actually our tenants are big pharma um, as well as small companies and big pharma often want to speak to you know, people innovating and doing all these exciting things. And likewise, those smaller companies want to be engaged with, with big pharma. Um, and um, yeah, delighted to have um, Bradley and Mike here today. We've known each other for a number of years, mm -hmm. seen each other out on the circuit, um, 
yep. in the various events and, and on panels and various things. Um, and I think they've, they've got a lot of knowledge on the topic, hopefully, to share. Awesome. Well, thank you all again for joining me. So I tried to give a little bit of an overview in the intro of sort of how this ecosystem works, why the startups, what the startups bring to the table and, and what the larger farmer partners bring to the table and, and why. What are the circumstances in which, you know, the, the one is trying to get the attention of the other? But maybe uh, if somebody, maybe Mike, I see you're nodding along, wants to kind of paint that picture a little bit just to set the stage for us of, you know, how how all these pieces fit together and, and what uh, what everybody's chasing here. So Bradley's got one of the hardest jobs in the world. So he's he's the business face of a large, fairly large multinational company. Um, they work in lots of different therapy areas. So the the audience that they're broadcasting to is immense. And there's only a few Bradleys on the team, and, and he'll come back to that, I'm sure. So the, the challenge for small, innovative companies is how on earth do they get visibility, let alone uh, mentioned or noticed? And once you've got visibility, how do you maintain it? And it's it's not no small matter. So a lot of early stage companies are founded by scientists who are used to the idea that if they publish a fantastic piece of science, they just get lots of citations, people can find them and, and will find them. They get a shock when they go into the world of business and find that however wonderful their stuff is, nobody is actually beating a track to their door because nobody knows them, nobody knows what they're doing. And they also assume that maybe they have to have a, a certain amount of information or data already secured before they can talk to the big players. Um, but it's my experience that you can't go out too early. Go out and start talking and engaging with the industry um, for several reasons. One is you'll start to do a bit of range finding. You'll figure out which parts of the industry are receptive to you, which parts are not. Um, you'll also start to find whether you're getting repeated uh, opportunities and, and chances to talk to people, the same people. Are they coming back and finding you at conferences? Are you finding them? And the, the, the ecosystem, as you put it, is utterly dependent these days on the innovators finding the big pharma partners and the big pharma partners finding the innovations that, that, that they need. Um, 20, 30 years ago, big pharma was still doing a lot of its own R&D. It's, it's a rare thing now. And so that, that's the symbiosis that needs to have a chance to, to thrive. And it's, it takes a lot of work and a lot of knowledge, I think, to make it work well. Just um, drawing on that, I guess you talked about visibility and um, the, the ability, I guess, to start those conversations early. But sometimes I think, and, and Bradley, you'll probably have a view on this, um, when you speak to early stage companies, um, it's a case of, but where do you start within a big company like Estella's, right? Because they have multiple departments and multiple different roles. And sometimes you don't really understand, I mean, the whole learning how those different departments operate and how large pharma actually engages with, mm. with early stage innovation that that's a huge, huge exercise in itself. Yeah. And, and obviously that's where you come in a lot with your clients and, sure. and help them to navigate yeah. that. Um, but yeah, I, I, Bradley, I don't know if you want to comment on that because I, I certainly hear that a lot from our tenants when they kind of say, well, yeah, we want to speak to big pharma. And then it's kind of a case of, but where do I start? Where do I, where do I go in? Yes. Yeah, so I think just to sort of, I guess, reiterate what you guys have, have said on one half, you have uh, a number of small biotech companies you're want, wanting to be visible and there's so much fantastic innovation out there 
it, it's easy to sort of get lost in the weeds of, of that and how do you stand out um, and how do you make contact? And then in making contact, pharma companies and, and all large companies could be this sort of big anonymous organization that sort of it's difficult to, to navigate and to work out where you need to be and who you need to speak to. And so what it's, it's our jobs to, to be visible uh, on both sides um, because we could just do like desktop research and see what companies are out there. But there are so many companies in stealth uh, that are great. And uh, maybe also, not. Also, how sort boring of... would that be, Bradley? How, bo- how boring would that be if you were doing desktop research as well? <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. We like going yeah. out and seeing each other and, you know, engaging. Yeah. And it matters a lot in our roles. <laughs> we'll come back to the benefits of, of face-to-face contact as well. But just in, in that first instance of finding those companies, um, and then on the other side, working out how how pharma works and, and how to get into pharma. It is that uh, you know you can't just sit where you are. You have to go out uh, and 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 find these these people. Uh, and it, it's incumbent on both of us as well, so both small biotech to be as visible as they can, and then big pharma to yep. you know, really search and evaluate, scout, transact uh, in in these areas of, of interest to you because uh, then it gets it gets our message across as well about what we're looking for and um, because then that saves a lot of time and effort on both sides I, I think Michael made a good point earlier that this this notion of of networking connectivity connection it, it might seem obvious but to to startup founders who come from the science background uh, it can be a bit of a shock that that your science the merits of your science are not all you need um, to find a partner. Um, and so, so I guess my next question is, how does this connectivity happen? And what are some of the venues where, uh, you know, where we talk about being in the right place at the right time? What are some of the right places? Well, on one hand, you can set yourself up in one of the many clusters around the UK or Europe or wherever. And, and I'm sure Hartley will have some views, Bradley will have some views on that. Um, but the, the, the fact of the matter is you have to, the early stage company has to understand where it wants to end up, what, what's the nature of the partnership with whom, uh, all of that. And I think what's often missing from early stage companies is that realization. They think they're just going to keep doing some really clever science and, and develop some seminal product and it's all going to flow from that. And it doesn't. Um, so get out to the business conferences, get out to the science conferences as well. And when I'm working with companies and I'm, I'm working with one company at the moment, Metallo Bio, we've got our two chemists who until six months ago had never gone to conferences. We've trained them to be science BD guys and uh, they're loving it and they're bringing us leads in. So, you know, you can actually, you can, you can make the odds better for yourself as a small company by looking at who have you got, how can you deploy them? And I think that it's not just a single hit. I mean, if I represent a company and go to talk to Bradley, that's okay. We know each other, we can find each other. But if Bradley then goes back to Stellas, one of his science colleagues had already heard of this from one of our science guys, that's already a nice, strong uplift. There's, there's, there's some resonance there immediately. So. It's, um, I think Bradley said it a few minutes ago, it's not a one-off. You don't do it once. You have to have a campaign. You need to go to the same events or the, the right events. You have to have a plan for the event. This is the other thing. I, I went to bio many years ago and a girl who beat me to the head of a BD job, I'm not being bitter at all, I'm not, um, 
she was wandering around for four days trying to get meetings. Well, Bio has got twenty five to thirty thousand delegates. You spend twelve weeks before that event plotting your campaign there, and she hadn't done it. And I thought, and you beat me to the job. That's not fair. I'd love it if she listens to this, but anyway. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but actually, I think your point around the strategic yeah. piece here actually really matters because let's be honest, if you're an early stage company, you are not just trying to meet with the big farmers. You're also trying to raise money. You're also trying to build a team. You're also trying to actually, you know, build your product and be in the lab and you're wearing all these different hats. And so ultimately being um, planning and considerate, being more considerate about where you spend your time matters. And I think from from our perspective as Kazans, um, you know, we're fairly new in the UK. We're kind of building our presence. And the first thing that we're doing deliberately for the benefit of our tenants and prospective and future tenants is bringing existing networks and conferences and organisations who I know have quality people in the room and are going to talk about topics that matter to our prospective uh, community closer to us as a, as a first point of call. Um, so that my tenants in, in our buildings are going to instantly be able, you know, they can go to the lab in the morning and then pop downstairs in the afternoon and do some BD, BD networking. Or, you know, later that evening, have a drink w- with some big farmers after a panel discussion about a particular topic. So if we create those sort of environments from our perspective, that's really important. But it's not just, I suppose, about just our buildings. It's yes. about all the other things that happen in different locations. Um, I mean, Bradley, you're you're based in Cambridge. You're very much part of that Cambridge ecosystem. Um, it's funny. I, I, I someone told me this about Cambridge, about Cambridge having um, almost being like a, a, a field of wildflowers, and it has sort of pockets of activity, and different flowers grow up at different times. And you can't really. It's wild, so you can't really tame it. It's not. It's not. You know. A, a, a lovely rose garden. It doesn't work like this, no. right? Um, and so that's the nature of that dynamic, vibrant ecosystem where you're going to get the really, you bump into the really good people and there's an element of, of sort of uh, spontaneity in it as well, but it has to be planned too. Yes. Um, and, I, and I keep saying that it's you that told me that story, Bradley, and it wasn't, and I can't remember who it was, but anyway. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean, yeah, you're, I, I, I do agree. You know, it's almost paradoxical that you need that sort of planned serendipity um with this you know you need a plan when you go to these uh conferences because you're not going to have the meetings if you don't but likewise you know understand the value of just bumping into somebody uh that you've met before because uh, the, the reality of, of partnering uh is that you'll never do the deal the first time you meet uh you know these things happen they evolve over time over multiple meetings um, and it's when you sort of both parties get out there, meet people that either through one or two degrees of separation, you can get uh, an introduction, build that trust, build that camaraderie. And it is that serendipity of having a coffee or bumping into someone at an event, uh, either a big conference or just a small networking event, uh, that, that you can do that. And and it's it's yeah it is planned serendipity which sounds sort of counterintuitive. No, no, I get it. Yeah. I get Keeping it. that visibility and in, well, in in your radar really, aren't you? And also, it's kind of indicating that you understand that you need to be in the right places, isn't it? And that you're both aligned, that you're in the same places, which matters. 
I mean, yeah, another way to say it would be kind of maximizing opportunities for serendipity, right? (laughs) Yeah. 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 And actually, a lot of what we will be doing and and trying to create with our facilities and our locations is is about that. You know, it's it's maximizing those opportunities for different um, individuals at different levels in the business, in different subsectors and and with with different aims um, to increase knowledge, to provide those business development opportunities. And you need people like Mike as well in that conversation in the sense that, you know, yes, you've got the, the, the small companies who want to make friends with Bradley. Absolutely. But actually they probably need a bit of help to navigate that journey a lot of the time. Yes. It's how I make my money. So I'm yeah. delighted that it exists, <laughs> but joking aside, no, there is that need. And I think it's, um, one of the other aspects of being a small company is very often you don't know what you don't know. Um, you're moving into business. You just don't know how it happens. I, I've met people. Well, my wife's one of them. She thinks networking is going out and having too much wine and beer. Um, oh, you never and, do and that, do you, Mike? No, I've never, done, never that, done that ever. Uh, clearly, but but you know, joking aside, I mean, this is what happens. You go to the big events and you discover that you're waiting in a queue to go to one big company's reception, and the person sat standing beside you yeah. is the person that you were trying to find. Uh, the three, four weeks before the event, just hadn't got hold of them. And there they are. And and they're in the same mode as you are. They're there to do business. They're there to to open conversations. Um, and it's the idea that you have to keep the conversations going on. They, 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 they grow with time. So, you know, having a deliberate campaign, if you're a small company of, you know, don't bombard everybody. But if you're, if you're targeting Bradley every six months ago or so, just a, a short email, just to let you know, we'll be at bio. And, and if you've got time, great to catch up with you. We, we've done another mouse study now and, and we're moving on. Whatever the piece of information is, because it means that from the big pharma person's point of view, um, they're getting to know you better. There's, as you said, Mary, that they, they know that you're going to the right events. You're, you're, you're now visible. And, and you are on the radar, you may never get the deal. It may be that you're not quite in the right space, but both parties are learning about each other and, and figuring that out. It's really hard to do in a single 30 minute exchange. You know, you just can't do it. Uh, you have to go time and again and be prepared for quite a long thing. I mean, was it Lee Trevino said? He found that the more he practiced, the luckier he got that famous phrase. And I, I think it's the same thing, you know, getting into the and actually, I think that that also is is absolutely true for for if you look going out to VCs and looking for funding, it's a case of little and often and having a plan. Um, but I mean, Bradley, how many emails do you get a day from uh, companies? So from, from people that I don't know, um, all targeting me by 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 name, so they know me approximately thirty to forty a day. Well, wow. uh, and so you know, it, it's it's almost impossible to to sort of go through them, respond to them, um, and and to work out which ones are are in in scope. But coming back to your point, if if it comes from somebody that I know, here's an update. We've spoken. Good to see you again. Um, when do we go for a coffee? Then then just instinctively, I will I will know that person uh, more likely to open that email uh, and and more likely to to respond. Um, and again, you know, this it's that little and often the updates, building that trust, building that camaraderie, um, almost sort of becoming friends. Yeah. Um, because that that helps with referrals, it helps with contacts, it helps with updates. And so so that that FaceTime um and, and the networking is is very, very important. Do you find by the way, this sorry. advice uh, pretty much completely applies also uh to 
building a relationship with journalists, so. Build <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. the skills. <laughs> Good plug, uh, well but done. I want to move on. Mary mentioned venture. I want to talk about venture and, and um, you know, what's similar and different there. And also this idea of the clusters. We've talked about clusters a lot. People have been bringing them up. So what is a cluster? And it's a very fashionable <laughs> word, anyway. How does it yeah. fit into, into all of this? Um, well, I suppose, I guess, um, no, it just it occurred to me, um, we, we talked a little bit about the, the, the idea is that, you know, um, when you're perhaps looking to engage with big pharma, you might need a sponsor or a champion to actually help you along that journey. Right. And, and I think both of you can, yeah. you know, in your roles, yeah. have seen that and how that works in practice. Um, and obviously the little and often having a plan. Um, the understanding, the criteria that you fit into doing your homework yeah. before you spend all that time chasing after um, Estella's or mm-hmm. JSK or, mm-hmm. you know, whoever, because I mean, let, let's be honest, if you, if you haven't done your homework first and then you spend all your time going after this. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's exactly no the same when, and I see it all the time actually with companies looking to raise early stage capital and they go, oh, well, that's that person is in healthcare. Therefore, I'm going to go after them. But they haven't looked at their portfolio to understand that actually they've already invested in something that's pretty damn same. Um, or, for example, they're at the end of their fund uh, cycle. Mm-hmm. There's no money. Realistically, they're not going to be able to invest in you. Don't waste your time. And that's, again, why that yeah. ecosystem network matters a lot. Um, and again, I suppose it's, you know, for us, I think we've been we've all been doing this and and engaging with different life science stakeholders and networks and communities and ecosystems for a while. So it's quite natural for us of who to go to sure. and ask. Yeah. But then that won't be natural, will it, for a lot of early stage companies? No. You've got you've got the scientist staring at his or her shoes, you know, in a dark corner of the, the networking opening reception. You yeah. know. And, and, and you go, you're, you're here to speak to people, go over and say something to somebody. And sometimes I that's mean, just not natural, you know? No, yeah. It's not. They need and, help. I mean, Bradley, I mean, I know if I needed to get hold of one of your colleagues in Astalis, I would just contact you and say, who, could, who should I be speaking to or who's the head of R&D in a certain area? And I, I think you said it a few moments ago that there's small degrees of separation. I think that's another thing that's just not often appreciated is part of the currency is as a player in this is you give and you take. Um, so sometimes you're giving leads, you know, making phone numbers available or email addresses available to people and introducing them. So I'm very confident if I had to speak to somebody um, that's, that Bradley knew, maybe even from another company where there's no no competition as such, um, an email from Bradley saying, oh, can I introduce this guy, Mike Murray, to you? That's, that's gold dust because that's a pre-qualified introduction straight away. Yeah. And, and that's a massive accelerator. And if it's in the other direction, I guess for you, Bradley, it's great. You go, oh God, I know, I know who this is. I'll answer this email. Yeah, and actually I'm just thinking. <laughs> I'm not about to be sold a timeshare, you know. <laughs> Out of the 40, he might yeah, actually yeah. pick you, yeah. I mean, but actually you've done that, right? Whereas yeah. I've, I've sent companies to you that need advice around spinning out mm. and you've picked them up straight away. Sure. And it's, whereas perhaps you know, maybe that wouldn't have been top of your list otherwise, or maybe it would have just taken you a bit longer to get back to. And actually that's kind of coming back to the cluster, however you might term that, the the innovation hub or ecosystem piece. It, you know, those people who can do those, that currency and those favors and those warm introductions, that does, that. that's, that's how things operate. That's how things move forward a yeah. lot of the time, I think. Yeah. 
I hate the phrase it's a contact sport because people trot it out and they're usually the people who are quite introverted and I think, yeah, you've read it somewhere, right? So, but it, it is that thing. And um, if you think about it, it goes on in all walks of life. It's not just unique to, to this ecosystem we're in. It's that there's a degree of trust or reputation that travels with the introduction. And, and that's really important. And that, again, going back to the VC side matters hugely as well, because ultimately, again, kind of similar to the number of emails that Bradley's receiving, they'll be receiving hundreds of decks per week. And um realistically, again, if you can cut through that because of a trusted individual who's pre-qualified you. Um, and actually I, I do that fairly regularly where I'll send decks on uh, to investor contacts, but I'll be honest, I, I do, I want the deck to be in a good form. I don't want them to be asking for silly money <laughs> because I don't want to waste that contact because the other person is my peer and I yeah, respect yeah, yeah. them and I don't want them to look at me and go, come on, Mary, why are you sending me that rubbish? You know, <laughs> well, you've been there as well, Bradley, as an investor. Well, exactly. Yeah. But yeah. I guess the other, the other benefit of, of these contacts is that if a small company goes to, to Michael and says, okay, what are Estellas interested in? Because we had that conversation and he has an idea of what we're after. He can tell them, yeah. You're, don't waste your time. They're yeah, not yeah, interested yeah. in anti-infectives, for example. You know, and and that that sort of knowledge, and and likewise, you could say, don't go to that fund. They're there at the end of their fund cycle. They're not investing in new companies. Um, however, I hear on the the grapevine they're just about to launch. Maybe now is the time to warm warm them up yeah. on a face to face conversation without going in with a with a cold approach and 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 a, and a cold ask. Yep. Because uh, again, that, that local knowledge and that that insight that we can offer to each other and to the the, the other sort of players in the clusters that can be incredibly valuable. And it's easier when you're all sort of in the same sort of geographic area. And this is how this is why clusters work, um, because you get those those people that have the knowledge of everybody else in that cluster. It's interesting. You might think that being in a space with a bunch of other startups could be detrimental because you know you you're just a face in the crowd but it actually helps you almost paradoxically it helps you stand out uh, because of this because of this dynamic we're talking about of, of kind of how these g- deals get done but it, talk me through that a little bit Bradley so, so if you're encountering a, a cluster of of startups um, you know how do you make face time for the individuals in it yeah, so so what what will happen is you know there'll be that sort of spark of of chemistry. You know they'll they'll say something that resonates uh, to you either in terms of what they're they're going after and and, and what they're doing. If that that sort of uh, works with your uh, strategy internally, then there'll be that. Actually, no, I I like how you work. I like what you say. You know, I I like what you're doing. Let's engage further. Um, and then internally within within Estellas, I become a champion for that uh, and 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 everybody needs a champion either within vcs within pharma you know you, you need that and if you can get more than one champion even better coming back to mike's point of of that sort of multi-touch point uh, both within the research and then within within bd but it it it's odd because there, there is that you just get that spark you, you see a, a, a dozen company pitches and then for, for whatever reason, that, that one will resonate and you go, I want to talk to them. Yeah. Okay. Because they're doing what I'm interested in. They're, they're at the right stage. Uh, you know, they're, 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 they're doing uh, the right modality, the right biology of, of what we like. 
we want to be the partner of choice. Yes, let's let's engage in that. And it's you you would think, and as you your your question sort of it doesn't actually matter if there's a whole sea of people because those ones that are interested interesting to you stand out to you. And it's you you don't it doesn't get lost in a in a sea of mm. uh, uh, sort of other pitches. And I think everybody is the same. And this is this is why different companies in the cluster can can be there, do what they want, and then they'll they'll find their different partners mm. as they come and in. Be found by them. Yeah. Yes. But also, I mean, you're you're going fishing, right? You use the term the sea, right? I mean, you want you want to go fishing in a place that has fish. You want to know that there's some good quality fish that are being fed well, nurtured, you know, they're all different colors, but you know, you want to go fishing. And I guess for us, it's a case of I want to create the pond that you want to come to, right? Because it's wonderful analogy. Oh yeah, great. But um I you know, actually I think that does kind of matter because it's a case of your time poor because you've got a small team, you want to go to a place that's going to show you lots of good quality stuff. And actually then, you know, you might invest in, in one particular company or might, you might do a deal for another that, you know, then, then gets a bit of a splash. It starts growing. And then that's um, reinvested or, or that, that sort of um, the ripple effect. Yeah. Sorry, even more pond analogies there are still going. But, you know, I mean, the ripple effect of that is really important because then actually the companies around that that company can potentially benefit because everybody went, oh, well, oh, so-and-so biotech got X many millions and, oh, where are they based? Oh, who else is there? And and that also helps just continue the, the evolution of the area. Well, we're talking about evolution. We started with wildflowers and we're talking about fish now. So it's, it's all happening. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, exactly. And I think the other thing which has to be said, um, that a cluster can deliver, that an isolated location for a company can't, is not every company makes it. You know, small companies run out of money, fail. And you know if they've got five or 10 staff, talented chemists, biologists, whatever, in a cluster, it's a two-way road there, which is for the other companies, there's now a good talent pool that they can draw on quite close by. And for the people who've gone to the cluster, maybe in one company, it hasn't worked out. It's not the end of the road. They're in a place where there's another opportunity within reach, which is quite important. 100%. And actually, when we think about like, so for example, we we are building Europe's largest commercial life science labs in Canary Wharf. Uh, that's a joint venture with Canary Wharf Group. Um, it will be 23 floors. It will be larger than Oxford Science Park under one roof. And actually, when I talk and think about what we're creating there, for me, it's not just the, it's not just the physical amenities and the, the specialized assets it's got to be around the all the other components and actually it goes down to people it goes down to to, mm-hmm. to to culture it goes to alignment and when we think about talent it's not just the the young clever people coming out of the great london universities they're obviously very important but actually it's people in tech who might you know move over to life sciences when we think about our future businesses it's also having um a place where those non-executive directors and those c-suite people who really supercharge and drive businesses want to come and stay and base themselves not just for their first company but for their third company because they have to think about the future so i mean all these factors i think think really matter and play into yeah. that, you know, why you would spend time there. And then hopefully you attract individuals like yourself closer. Um, and that helps, uh, you know, 
seed seed the future innovations and, and provide that supportive environment. Definitely. Um, there was a lovely story, Mark Ferguson, um, a professor at Manchester University, when they built the Grafton Centre, which was an incubator building, the university did not want there to be a cafe in there. They wanted it all to be labs, 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 desks, desks, more labs, another lab. Can we make that cupboard into a lab? Yes, we can. Poor scientists, yeah. not allowed out for a cup of tea. No, and, but Mark said, you know, the problem was that the opportunity for exchange, for connection was just not there. People were going to come into the building and go off to the little rabbit hutch of a lab all day and all the rest. So he cleverly said, well, instead of a restaurant, shall we have a data exchange centre? And the university thought it was a great idea. It happened to be a data exchange centre with hot and cold meals, sandwiches, coffee, <laughs> uh, tables you could sit down in. Um, it probably to our untrained eyes looked a little like a restaurant, but anyway, that's what they did. And it, it's, it's just so that's yeah. really the key thing there, isn't it? Is people wander through and those chance connections, but they're, they're not completely chance because you've created that environment, um, as well. But I think it's interesting cause I, um, you know, we, we're not just, um, one location in the UK. We're not just one location in Europe, you know, we're multi-locations and let's be honest, we work in life sciences and healthcare. It's a global mm. industry. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think we're all advocates of the the physical connectivity and the being there and doing that strategically, but it's also how do those locations have international reach yep. as well? Um, which obviously can't always physically be done, you know, yes, delegation visits, et cetera, are, are really important, but how do you, how do you create, so we've got a facility, um, um, on Baberham research campus and Baberham's like internationally res- renowned, you know, they, they've got that reach. People know where Baberham is mm. in other locations. Mm. Mm. So that also matters when you're thinking long-term as a business of attracting in big pharma from Japan or mm-hmm. I don't know, the States or wherever of being in a location that they're actually going to recognize. I think that's true. Um, so, I mean, the other point on that is, you know, you said that your science is, is global, pharma is global, but, but venture capital money is curiously local. That's true. Yeah. Yes. Um, and it's, it's, it's a, it's a weird sort of phenomenon and, it, and it's no coincidence that the, the, the big VCs in the U S are based in Boston or Silicon Valley um, the big VCs in in kind of Europe are based in the the, the clusters. So London, Oxford, Cambridge, um, you know the, the Benelux, Medicon Valley, because in a, in a sort of post deal uh, sort of consideration as well, you know signing the contract is is just the beginning of your relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that that post um, once the deal is done, how you manage that deal if it's an investment, if it's a partnership, and that is easier if you are geographically uh, located in, a, in the same area, or at least easy to get to uh, yeah. by, by, by transport. Um, it's you know, a train or a car ride. Um, if, if it's within an hour, that makes such a difference to my life if I'm going to visit a company that I've invested in or a, a company that I've partnered with. Yeah. And if there's a company that you've invested in or partnered with, you actually do want more FaceTime if you can get it, right? Because it's about building trust realistically and and not that you can't do that virtually no it's it's different it is yeah absolutely so we're almost out of time i want to make sure we get to everything so so i just want to take just a few minutes to talk about cambridge in particular and you know fits right in with what we've just been talking about why is it one of these sort of good hubs what why is it a, a good place for startups to be and then we'll go into kind of our our closing final question 
Sure. So, so I mean, I, I can I can sort of speak to that. You know, when when Estellas decided to to open an office for for innovation in Europe, uh, you know, it was sort of okay. We're doing it in Europe. Where in Europe? The UK. Where in the UK? And the obvious sort of answer was London, because all of the big pharma have their their headquarters in London. And then sort of some bright spark within Estellas as well. Why don't we actually go where the action is? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's why they sort of chose Cambridge to to be there to take advantage of that that serendipity and the wildflowers uh, and then to sort of <laughs> bump into people just walking walking down the street when you go for lunch. And I think what makes uh, Cambridge a good cluster, uh, actually no, an excellent cluster. It, it has the three things that that I think make is uh, sort of necessary for the success of a cluster: world class research. Okay, you know, that the science that is generated there, but then also the students, PhD students, postdocs that are attracted to the university that then become the employees of, of these of these companies that, that start there. And infrastructure of, you know, lab and office space where, where people can work uh, and, uh, and, and, and sort of execute their ideas and then money, um, you know, and, and local money as well, because if there's a, there's a pot of, of local money that can then attract international money, you know, that 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 sort of that point of nucleation and that catalyst uh, to, to, to get things done. And I think though those are the three things that, that that make a good a good cluster. Can I add to that in Cambridge? Because I actually so um, number one, because I think I absolutely agree. Um, Cambridge though actually doesn't have much lab space at the moment, so we are building, which we're we're really excited about bringing on some new labs there. Just get that plug in. But um, <laughs> the other thing was, I got to say, but the other thing um, actually that I think is particularly unique about Cambridge, from my experience, is the people element of the people who are active in that ecosystem um who are driving the labs the money you know the the infrastructure you know they're they're driving what makes Cam- and, and the phenomenal research um because what i feel when you walk into cambridge events or activities is often you'll know who the ecosystem drivers are in the room they're really open they'll help you they know each other they work with each other um they're always putting the ladder down mm-hmm. and i think that's really super important where they, they that that kind of values piece in that they recognize that Cambridge has done some really great things for them so they want to do more for other people and the next generation of companies and I think that's quite special um, and that's the sort of thing that we'd love to encourage with some of the new locations that we're investing in across the UK of getting those those sort of champions, actually, we've used the word in other forms early in the conversation, but those kind of champions in the region who who can really help with that next generation um, of opportunity. Yeah, and you can see it from the other side. So I work with some companies that are not in clusters and it's harder. It's just harder. So you said about the access to money, Bradley, and also infrastructure, lab space. And we're in an era where... British universities, like universities all around the globe, want to be involved in innovation. And there are pro-vice chancellors getting well-fed at swanky dinners talking about it. I don't think they really understand it at all, frankly. I think it's, oh, innovation. Yeah, we do that because the neighbouring university in our city has been doing it for 10 years longer than us. We've got to be up there doing it. But what they're not doing... We must have an innovation centre. That's also, well, th- you know. that helps. Absolutely. And, and the other thing is, where do you hatch these new companies, right? So in Sheffield, where I do a lot of the work, my goodness, the lab space 
is desperately thin on the ground. And, you know, you, you, you'll get, if you've got five staff, they won't be in the same building. They'll be in three different buildings. That's no good. That slows the company growth down because we've talked about the connectivity. Just think of the connectivity of three or four bright people working in the same lab every day. Stuff happens. They'll riff off each other. You don't get that when somebody's a bus ride away across the city in a converted garage uh, in some suburb. And and that's actually something I know of that's happened near us. So, you know, that that access to funding, but particularly to infrastructure, the ability to hatch a company, grow it, and then for it to have somewhere else to go to without everybody having to move to another region or, you know, taking your young children out of the local school that you love and it took you years of you know, bribery to get them into in the first place, you know, and you're off somewhere else. So, No, and actually, I mean, that's that's for us is is such a big um, driver in our mm. business model, right? And, you know, we've got um, 2.2 million square foot that we're bringing online in across the UK in the coming years. And, um, and that's lab and office space. Um, but I guess, you know, from our perspective, it is about location and it does need to have all the wonderful components mm. that we've just talked about for it yeah. to make it worthwhile for us to put those facilities there. Um, but yeah, you know, we've got companies who are crying out for lab space and they're having to look three years ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately they are being disruptive, uh, disrupted and it's not capital efficient. And, you know, I, you know, that whole disruption of that cycle is a, is a significant problem that's going to continue happening for a while. I mean, there's a lot of stock coming on now, which will resolve that problem, but it's probably going to be stock in particular areas yeah. because of the other factors in terms of the investments. And it's important to have, a company needs to have its own space. You know, this is the other problem. So if the company's forced to take space in a shared laboratory, you've got the double whammy of a company with confidential work going on in a very public environment. But you've also got staff in the company operating to certain industry standards or trying to in a space that's just utterly contaminated by you know academic stuff who don't have to work to those standards and maybe sharing equipment and all sorts of stuff. It, the whole thing just goes up in smoke at this point because you you're going to be building data packages you know if i if i have to bring a small company to to bradley's attention and they start to do due diligence they're going to be looking at things like what was the standard of laboratory practice that was used here um were you able to keep your stuff confidential yes we could and they said but when i was on site last time there was that girl through from the chemistry department she's a student you know what's she doing wandering about you know these are real issues and again if you've got the right facilities around you can get around these problems but they're real they can be a real handbrake for companies just not being able to move on to the right facilities so i know we could go on and on we're already a little bit over time um so i want to bring us to the to the conclusion here um i want to give everyone a chance to sort of give some final thoughts and maybe you know if there are startups listening um what's the you know what are the big takeaways you want to leave them with so, so for me it's you know, you need to build up that personal relationship uh, with the people that you want to partner with um, and and even get investment from to generate that champion who is going to be you know, your champion for your cause uh, within their, their respective uh, organizations. It's a lot easier to do that over coffee at networking after a, a panel um, when you have that conversation um, and it's not just such a hard sell. 
um, because we all have our sort of uh, our barriers up when when someone just uh, approaches us and and, and does a, a cold pitch. Um, but if there's that sort of more friendly conversation over coffee, what's going on? How are you? This is what we're doing. Does this um, you know, ask me what I'm interested in before you pitch me a slide deck? <laughs> you know that that's it. And you can do that by having that that sort of casual conversation at these events. Yeah, I agree completely with that, Bradley. I think it's um, for a small startup don't mythologize anything it's human beings talking to human beings i think there's this mystique that there's something strange happens at networking events and no it's not the person you talk to whether they're an investor or a big pharma bd guy probably needs to go to the toilet at least as many times as you do a day they're, they're normal humans right so just remember that it's, it shouldn't be a terrifying encounter. And if it is, and you're being made to feel terrified, that's probably something to do with the person you're talking to. It's not you. But joking aside, it's get the homework done, uh, have a plan, um, and don't expect things to happen overnight. There's a, there's a gestation period. It takes a while. There's a moment when everybody kind of instinctively knows the conversation is now crystallized into probably early stage business discussions. Six months ago, it wasn't. We were still kind of range finding with each other. So for a small company, and they can do it, build a plan, know where you're going and set realistic timelines. Don't expect it all to happen in the blink of an eye. And, and Bradley said so much of it already. Just do the homework. Understand why you're talking to Estellas today and not GSK. Because I'm, my heart goes out to you, Bradley. You must just get this all the time. Well, we, we make veterinary products. And you say, well, Estellas doesn't do veterinary. You know, that sort that. of thing. Yeah. Yes, you know. Um, I mean, yeah, I agree with everything that's been said there. Um, I think the, the make a plan, the persistence piece matters. And actually sticking to, you know, making a good plan, sticking to that plan. And I'm not saying that has to be a rigid plan where you don't, you know, flex a little bit here and there, but actually it, it does matter. Um, and, and knowing that these things do take time, they do take a number of interactions. And also realistically, that a lot of those interactions are going to feel a little bit lacking in that you won't get a response back that you expect, or you might not get a response at all. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's not the right place to be putting your attention. Because I, you know, I suspect, you know, Bradley, you know, he will have had emails from various people, but then he'll bump into them or the timing or the focus or the modality might be right at a different point. So, so sticking to your plan, doing your homework, sticking to your plan does matter there. Um, and actually, I suppose, you know, going back to the people piece, um, the trust and the seeking advice piece, it, it, it does matter. Um, there are people who are friendly and helpful and will give you half an hour of their time and you can pick their brains, ask them questions. I think there is, you know, you need to ask the right people questions because there are lots of lots of people who give you advice and maybe they're not the best people to, to, to seek advice from. But I do think like, you know, especially if you you base yourself in a location or affiliate yourself with a an area or, a, a, you know, an innovation ecosystem that has helpful, useful people who've been there, done it, can tell you what they know, um, save you a load of time, or if they don't know, they can send you on to someone else. Yeah. So, so just just to pick up on on that point about advice, yes, people are very very uh, generous with their time, um, especially in Cambridge. You know, there there is that. And 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 I'll quote uh, Peter Cowley, who's a local business angel here. He said, "When you're when you're asking for money, no, when you want money, ask for advice, and when you want advice, ask for money." 
um, because, you know, in, in that sense. And because, again, just that asking for that advice, I get to know what you're after, what you like. And if it resonates, then we can have a further conversation. Um, you know, my, 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 my guard is not up if you're asking for advice. My guard is up if you're asking for money, uh, just instinctively. Uh, so, so, you know, that's a great way of actually engaging with people as well, because you ask for some advice, then you get to know what I'm looking for. Yes. Uh, in, in that sense. So that helps you with your homework. Great advice all around. Thank you all so much. It's been really great to have such a robust discussion, so many different perspectives. And I know this has been a really helpful discussion for our listeners who are maybe in in the midst of, of some of this. That concludes this episode of the Pharma Forum podcast. You can find more information about this episode, including a download link and information about other installments in the series at pharmaforum.com slash podcast. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher, and Podme, where you can find and subscribe by searching for Pharma Forum. And don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for daily news and analysis bulletins and to follow us on Twitter at at Pharma Forum. Thanks for listening. Thank you.